This is Bloomberg Business Week with Carol Masser and Jason Kelly on Bloomberg Radio. This hit that three times, that three six, and then nine with counting, so sounding. I love it. There evidently are three core principles. Uh, that's why there is a, a three things song. Joining us here in our interactive broker studio is Vinny Catalano, Chief Investment Officer at Redmount Capital Partners, also co founder and member of Adriatic Capital Partners. So, Vinny, what are these three core principles that we need uh, to pay attention okay, to? Okay, we start with the three core principles. Number one, professional investors are the markets. So it's best to know if you're going to swim with the sharks, shark behavior. Okay. And so that's core principle number one. Uh, Principle number two is that professional investors actions must be justified. They cannot go rogue. Even going rogue and being successful can be problematic for a professional investor. Why? Because there's a defined methodology And if they don't follow that defined methodology, management, asset managers, management will have a problem with them doing whatever they want to do, even if they are successful. And then the third core principle is that you as an investor want to exploit this behavior as best that you can. The expression, the quote I like to refer to is from enemy of the state. And, And that quote is, if they're big and you're small, then you're mobile and they're slow. You're hidden and they're exposed. So this is good for an individual investor if he or she knows how to play the game and to exploit the system. Those are the three core principles for starters. So what should individual investors really focus on? There's so much information out there. And if they're sitting in front of a Bloomberg terminal, tremendous amounts of information uh, at their fingertips. Should they be focusing on earnings? company management, macro stuff, trade? What should they be focusing on? They should be focusing on what professional investors focus on, which is going to be the inputs into their valuation models. What are those inputs? They're mainly earnings, interest rates, and a degree of risk. And risk tends to be somewhat subjective, so that's a little bit problematic in that regard. But those are the the three principles. So when you're looking at, for example, 12 months from now, What do 2020 earnings look like in the third quarter of next year? Not bad. They look like a growth over. So, yes. I I guess a key question recently has been what your timing is, right? Mm -hmm. And as an investor, as an individual investor, it's one thing to do day trading. It's another thing to have a six-month horizon. It's another thing to uh, do long-term. How do you sort of advise all of the above? I mean, do you have clients that are trying to trade on a day-to-day basis? I have one client who does trade on a day-to-day basis, only one, and what he does is he focuses in on momentum. Now, if you are a short-term trader, momentum is king, okay, because it will give you good indications of when you want to flow in and out with the money flow, but that really is more technical analysis, moving averages, things of that sort. And there are services that are out there that do that, but you can develop it yourself too if you if you have the tools available. So, so Vinny, there are there is so much noise out there, so much information. What should investors actually ignore? Well, number one on the list of ignoring is going to be hard to quantify, highly subjective type of uh, metrics. For example, valuation. Now, that sounds like I'm doing double talk here because I've referenced before what a professional investor is and what do you want to 
concentrate on what they're looking at, which is the inputs into the valuation model. Okay, but what you need to be aware of is that valuation is highly subjective. It's like a rubber band. It can stretch and stretch and stretch. Uh, The John Maynard Keynes quote, being irrational, longer than you can remain solvent. Those kind of things are, you know, problematic valuation being one. Another one that's highly subjective is going to be investor sentiment. And this, on my LinkedIn post, generated a lot of interest and a lot of consternation by a number of investors. What do you mean? You know, look at this tool. But there's a low probability of it, of it being a, a, a decent timing tool. You know, I was just looking at some S&P data showing that active managers have consistently uh, underperformed the broader indexes. Ooh, what a surprise. So, I mean, what's your, <laughs> the, the sort of sarcasm that is that is dripping all over your words. I mean, is your takeaway that investors should just steer clear of active strategies? Not really, because you can plug in those active strategies into whatever your long-term time horizon is, whatever your risk tolerance is, whatever your goals and objectives are, and then you can plug in various different types of active strategies as long as it fits within the parameters of your goals and your expectations, understanding, of course, that if you have an active manager and that active manager is trying to, quote, beat the market or beat their bogeys, so to speak, uh, don't be surprised if they don't. And that's, part, uh, by the way, a, a big part of the reason why ETFs have been so uh, successful over the years because a lot of individual investors have gotten tired of the underperformance by active managers and they've gone the ETF route. In fact, now uh, passive strategies in equities uh, outpace the amount of money, money assets yep. under management in passive uh, equity strategies now outpaces that in active strategies. Vinny Catalano, thank you so much for being here with us. Vinny Catalano is Chief Investment Officer at Redmount Capital Partners, also co-founder and member of Adriatic Capital Partners, joining us here in our Bloomberg Interactive Brokers Studios. Back to life, back to reality. Virtual reality, impacting lots of businesses across the spectrum, but I'm not sure people really understand some of the applications for virtual reality and how certain businesses and companies and services are are using virtual reality. To try to learn a little bit more, we welcome our next guest, Ebby Altberg, Chief Executive Officer of Linden Lab, joining us from our Bloomberg 960 studio in San Francisco. Ebby, thanks so much for joining us. I wonder if you could just give us a little background on what your company, Linden Lab, is all about. Hey, uh, great to be here. Yeah, Linden Lab um, makes it easier for people to create the worlds they want. Um, We build the platforms and tools and ecosystems and financial systems to make it possible for people to create worlds, invite people into their worlds, and uh, have all kinds of entertainment or business activities uh, and make money doing it. So the company Linden Lab was founded in 1999. A lot's changed since then. I mean, what are what's sort of the the latest thing in virtual reality? Yeah, uh, I mean, we've Second Life, our, our first product, uh, has now been in the market for over sixteen years, and it's still going strong. Is this sort of the most you know uh, interesting virtual world ever created? Um, and the subject matter in there is extremely diverse, from healthcare to education to entertainment and businesses of all kinds. And with this new wave of new technologies like virtual reality headsets and a lot of investments from bigger players entering, um, it's it's advancing 
rather quickly, although it still feels slow, but it's, it's uh, the, the immersion you can have by doing it in virtual reality versus just looking at it on a screen is tremendously powerful and will ultimately impact almost everything human beings do. It'll just take a while, but uh, we can see the signs. So, Abby, uh, I know you've done some brand partnerships with companies including Levi's, Virgin Records, Spinning Records, and, and so on. Just give us an example of kind of what that looks like. Give us like a practical example of kind of how you interact with certain brands. Yeah, I mean, uh, we help some of these uh, brands build entire worlds that are in the spirit of their brand, and it gives them a really interesting way of engaging with their audiences and their fans or their customers. And uh, for some brands, it's about merchandise, and we help them sell virtual goods through our marketplace. Uh, and so they can display uh, Levi's uh, uh, gear. So I can go buy Levi's T-shirts with maybe Hello Kitty uh, branding on it. Um, so and for other partners, it's, it's music brands where their artists can perform in very large stadiums in front of thousands and thousands of people. Um, and ultimately, you'll see more of the activities we take for granted happening in physical space also happening in virtual space. People still want to look good, still want to be entertained, still want to do business. And so all of the things human beings do will more and more actively being done in, in virtual space as well. So let's talk about the business aspect of this. Uh, I imagine that there is a lot of competition right now. Um, what is the competitive landscape like for you? Well, it's still early. Um, there's not that many companies that are really enabling people to create their own virtual worlds. There's a lot of games out there, uh, but enabling people to create their own worlds and where they own the content they create and, and can make a business out of it um, without having to be a sophisticated engineering uh, company uh, is something that we're helping create, basically democratize the ability to express yourself in this medium and share it with the world and, and, and profit from that. Well, and how do you make money? Uh, you can create uh, content, so assets that, you know, avatars and clothing for avatars and or world assets like you, you want to have trees in your garden and you want to buy them from the tree guy. So in Second Life, we have a GDP that's close to a half a billion dollar U.S. So there's a lot of economic activity for products and services within the virtual world. So looking forward, uh, what do you think is going to be uh, sort of the next big thing uh, in terms of virtual reality? I mean, one of the fantastic things about your role is you get to sort of have a bird's eye view of all the different ways that people are developing these worlds. Where, where, where do you think it's going? Well, this is going to continue to advance at, at a rapid rate, both with vertical applications that are very specific to specific industries or specific use cases, as well as horizontal platforms that lower the bar of entry for more people to participate in this kind of a medium. Um, you know, the number of companies today, it's not that hard to get a website up and running, but creating a virtual world uh, it's been quite hard for to do, and it's been sort of in the hands of the experts and specialists. And we're lowering the bar for who can participate in this new uh, way of uh, creating content and have social interaction in the world. Abby Altberg, thank you so much for spending time with us. Abby Altberg, Chief Executive Officer of Linden Lab, joining us from our Bloomberg 960 studio in San Francisco. And I, I have to think... Uh, 
that the idea of virtual reality is changing so dramatically in terms of how different uh, industries are looking at it in terms yep. of, I remember once I was speaking with one uh, entrepreneur who was trying to create a, uh, a robot with virtual reality to help seniors who lived alone feel like they were part of well, a community yep. basically a mobile you know mobile individuals so many cool applications yeah you go to the uh, consumer electronics show in january in las vegas and there is virtual reality applications all over the place so uh the uh, the technology is really advancing quickly yeah and the key is how do you democratize it how do you sort of make it bleed into the mainstream in a way uh that is palatable for the individual